This podcast is made possible by Sound Toys, makers of the award-winning Echo Boy and a full line of professional audio effects plugins. Twist, morph, drive, and push your creativity to brave new worlds with the analog attitude of Sound Toys. Learn more at soundtoys.com. Hey, it's Larry Crane. Welcome to the Tape Op Podcast. In issue 133 of Tape Op, I interviewed Andrew Sheps about mixing and his work with artists like Adele, Red Hot Chili Peppers, and Hozier. It's been about four years and we wanted to catch up, so I dropped him a line for this podcast. Andrew has recently developed a Pro Tools bolt-on application called Bounce Factory that automates bouncing and mixing, plus he's now working in Dolby Atmos, and I had a special question to ask him as well. Plenty to discuss. Enjoy. One of the biggest things we're going to be talking about today is you and software and Bounce Factory, right? Yeah, that's a thing. Wow. I I was able to install this. And and listeners, we will jump backwards and discuss what this is. But I was able to install this and try it. And uh, maybe we'll mention my my mistakes here later because I know it works, but uh, I made mistakes. My hand is up. <laughs> but um, briefly describe, I mean, it's pretty obvious why you created this, but give us that in your own words. Well, basically, um, I mean, I'm always looking for ways to make my life easier. That's mm-hmm. the first thing. And so I was a quick keys guy and then a keyboard maestro guy and things. And there were always things that they couldn't do, especially with Pro Tools. And people were telling me about SoundFlow, and for some reason, it took me a little while to actually try it. And when I tried it, it just, my head exploded. It talks to Pro Tools in a way that nothing else on the planet does. Who who created SoundFlow? It's uh, Kristen Scheer. I can't pronounce his name. Uh-huh. He's, he's from Denmark. Yeah. Um, he's one of the most brilliant people I have ever met. And fortunately, because I've been so heavily involved in developing apps and things, I've gotten to... to deal with him quite a lot mm-hmm. one-on-one and he's basically given me like a master's degree in computer science <laughs> by teaching me how to structure something this big you know because yeah. SoundFlow itself is great for building macros and scripts to do you basically any workflow is just a sequence of steps and so you can yeah. chain those steps together and it can be smart and it can ask you for names of things and it can look at menu items and that kind of thing right but then when you get into an app, like Bounce Factory is this gigantic app where it's really more of, it has to be more of like a prop, properly developed app. It can't just be like a series of macros because it needs to know how it just went. And yeah. if it didn't go great, what does it do? It needs to be able to recover. And because the whole idea is like things happen while you go to the bar so (laughs) if it just like yeah if it just caved on the first air like that would be an issue so yeah yeah, christian has been amazing and the whole community on Mm. the forums uh with soundflow is pretty incredible it's just a bunch of like-minded geeks who make records or do post right so soundflow uh, maybe to help help our readers understand if they have no idea like i did four days ago um soundflow is an, an app you can download to your computer and then it will allow you to install other people's apps or macros that will do 
perform operations in Pro Tools, which are not inherently native operations that are available in Pro Tools. Um, and this is like, uh, I mean, yeah, it, it, I'm watching it work, like seeing, like <laughs> watching Bounce Factory work is amazing. It's like someone took over your computer, right? Yeah. Basically. Yeah. It is exactly that. It's yeah. if you had a guy who was going to come in or a girl come in and print all your mixes for an album. Yeah. It, it, that's if they would do exactly what Bounce Factory does in that order. And you that's know? how you, it, you it, did you work that way in LA, like on consoles and way back in the sixties, whenever it was just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm pretty old. I'm not that old. Though. I was, I was, unfortunately I was around in the sixties, but I was not old enough to work. <laughs> they wouldn't let me in a studio either. <laughs> no. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's the kind of thing where uh, over the years I've had assistants and I haven't had assistants. And once I was mixing in the box, I had some people remotely who would print stuff for me, right. which is great. Because, I, I mean, I think for anyone who makes records, especially because I'm, I don't know, the, the, the way I work now, I'm not working on one song at a time. I'm working on the whole album. So I don't really print anything until the whole album is signed off on. Yeah. Which means all of a sudden, you know, you've got this great, like, woohoo, they love the record, we're done, and now I need to print 250 mix passes because we need extensive stems because of Atmos, and they want all their vocal ups and downs, and then the mastering guys being a pain in the ass and wants one without a limiter. And, yeah. you know, you have this now couple of days of work. And basically, as soon as I got into Soundflow, my little holy grail for myself was. I've got a very specific workflow for printing the next reference mix. I know what track it's going to go on. I know where to get the name from the session, all that kind of yeah. stuff. And so I spent a couple months automating that and finally got it to the point where I could hit one button on my stream deck and it would print the next version of a mix. Right. And once I saw that happen, I just thought, well, okay, that's cool. What if it printed all the versions of the mix when I was done? And so it just kept snowballing and yeah. getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And then it generalized out into... Instead of being really specific to my workflow, it's basically if you use the bounce dialog, you can use Bounce Factory to bounce your mixes. Exactly, it's like a, it's like uh, for for certainly many of our readers be familiar with the bounce what the bounce dialog is. It's the page that opens up when you go to bounce to disc uh, and finish your mix off, and um, it's like an overlaid from the app overlaid on your Pro Tools session a new version of that bounce dialog, which is incredibly deep. Like there's way more uh, to access. Yeah, there's a lot going on. Yeah. And it's and I think, like, as you said, you know, you made some mistakes early on. And I think there is a bit of a learning curve with it because it is so deep. And I've mm. tried to make it intuitive, <laughs> but it's impossible. There's so much going on. Like, I've done a lot with color yeah. coding. So yes. where you don't get that in Pro Tools, like, you'll know if you're bouncing at the session sample rate. You'll know if you're importing. And if you're importing, you'll know you could export. Yeah. And I, I tried to make yeah. you know the eye go to what's important, but it's and, and still bouncing a lot at the going session on. sample rate. That to have that be green before you start the bounce. That I don't have to close my bounce dialog, hit Apple two, figure out what the session sample rate is. Make sure because sometimes I think, oh, well, we're at ninety six or something, and we're not. You know. And yeah, then, and to be uh, able to just hit yeah. a button that has an S on it that sets it to the session sample rate. Oh like, my God. There are hundreds and hundreds of those little things because yeah. every time something was annoying me, I'm like, well, I got to stop and write some code. 
<laughs> make a note. Were you making a lot of notes as you mixed and worked and tons? Yeah, yeah, I mean tons. And I really did get to the point where if there was some, and not necessarily just in Bounce Factory, but all my Soundflow stuff. If I did something for like the fourth time that day, prep something, prepping a session or whatever, mm-hmm. and it was annoying me, I would just stop working and write a script to do it. Right. And sometimes that could take me two days. Oh, and you think boy. like, well. Man, that thing took you no time at all to do. Just keep doing it manually. But when you can automate those things, immediately your life just gets better. And you're Mm -hmm. so much more creative because you're not doing these repetitive things. And that's the whole point of SoundFlow, you you know, know, or any of these automation apps. What I kind of equated it to once I watched, I watched all your videos and then I started, I did a couple of passes of trying to get it to work, which I was successful and unsuccessful at and, and definitely my fault on one of them, which is hilarious. Uh, but, um, I equated it to when somebody finally said, Hey, there's this program you can use to back up to your external hard drive when your session's over. And it just replaces the data it needs to replace. Cause I've been doing bulk, uh, you know, overwrites of yeah. my backups. And I would take a hard drive home with me every day in my backpack. Cause I don't want to trust that the studio is here tomorrow or whatever. And, one one day I was I was actually in London with a with a colleague of ours and he said blah 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 there's this piece of software which no longer even works on Mac but and I've got it and it was you know twenty bucks and it was like oh my god I can come home like forty five minutes earlier yeah <laughs> and that's yeah. how I've equated this I I set this I mean I don't do the kind of mixing you're talking about a lot of times well there's there's a million options you could be doing with this which is the versatile thing but um you know vocal up vocal down instrumental um, TV mixes with backing vocals, no lead vocal, clean mixes. There's a million, yeah. you know, things that have to be generated on a lot of sessions. And even the sessions I do that are most minimal in the box bounces are still, I need instrumentals and, and some basic stems, you know? And, yeah. and, and one of the things I thought was great is how I set up my own templates. I end up with kind of a drum bass main guitars. I'm like, Oh my God, those could just be going, Boom, boom, boom. This this workflow could be set where if I follow the proper pattern of setting it up, like you, I see in your program, then I could just set that and go down the street and get a burrito, you know. Yeah, and, and you could set up all those mix passes in seconds. Yeah. And I th- it's important to, to point out, too, that it, you don't have to be mixing completely in the box. You can have a hybrid setup. There's one guy who's using it who's still mixing on an SSL. Hmm. And the only thing we had to figure out was he prints his time code onto a track. So as long as you can use the bounce mm-hmm. dialog, which you can bounce in real time from there, wow. and if you've got audio going out of outputs, it really? plays. So I could use my yeah. my console because I, I'm usually Absolutely. I do a lot of stems via bus when I'm mixing yeah, the analog. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, the only thing it won't do is solo stuff on the console. But as long as you can <laughs> do the soloing yeah. and muting in Pro Tools, there yeah. are a couple people you know where they like to cut down on the noise floor, so they really mm-hmm. do want to be muting on the console. Well. Yeah then you got to be there for that. Yeah, Unless yeah. you've got MIDI control and then you could actually yeah, I used to I used to have a console with that MIDI out, control. But, yeah, yeah. Totally. Oh Yeah, man. but it does it works really well. I mean it works just as well real time as it does offline. Oh, I didn't think of that. I thought maybe I was just in the box with this. No, no, that online offline button is still there. So, yeah, yeah it'll in be fact, more I than made happy mis- to do it. Yeah, my first mixes kept playing stuff cuz I didn't hit the offline. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, how long did it take for you to develop this thing from the the idea kind of of starting to think about it? I mean, it's kind of hard to say because the the scripts for me morphed into this app, but I've been Mm -hmm. working on this 
basically for two years. Yeah. And the last sort of, well, it's been out now for a little over a month. And the last three months before it came out was really heavy beta testing. So mm -hmm. I was still writing code as much, but I was trying to feature lock it. But I couldn't because every time anybody said like, man, it'd be really cool if you could do this with one button instead of me having to do it every time. Like, yeah, you know what? You're right. Uh -huh. And so it, it's feature crept even since it came out. There have been a ton of new features, like yeah. the ability to save all of your extra mix passes as a little template. So if mm -hmm. you've got a mix template and you know your basic stems are always going to be soloing VCAs of the same name or whatever, you just make them once. Right. And then you can re-import them on every session. It'll find the tracks and off it goes. So oh my gosh. yeah, that stuff is still happening. So that's the thing. It's it's a forever project. I don't think I'll ever be done coding this. <laughs> Does, I mean... How did that, you and I both do tons of remote mixing. You, you certainly more than me, I think at this point, but uh, um, how did that cut into your time? You know, like your your work time. Plague, man. I, I, I didn't go anywhere. Seriously. I now have, it's, it's such a different part of my brain that I can mix until I am so burnt out I can barely see and then I'll just start coding. So basically, I just, I've been sitting in this chair for two years. You know, I couldn't go to the pub. Yeah. I, we weren't going yeah. out. We certainly weren't going to go out and eat. Like, we literally didn't leave the house mm -hmm. for about 18 months, not even once. And so I just kind of made it my second full-time job. Wow. Oh. <laughs> it's, yeah, which sounds brutal, but I think I've always been that kind of geek and I've always mm -hmm. wanted to learn how to program and I've never had the platform that made enough sense to me or like the good idea. For me, I need to have a reason to code. It wasn't enough to just like learn it for the sake of learning the language. Right, and I, I right. never really stuck to it. Yeah. And as soon as I had the idea in my head that this thing was gonna bounce my mixes, like that was it. I was gonna learn it well enough to make it happen. That's, uh, well, I'm glad you did. <laughs> <laughs> what, I mean, I, I know there's so many details we could go into, but but what has been the response from, from other uh, professional mixers? at this point it's been good i mean i think it's still early days you know the mm -hmm. the word is slowly creeping out yeah um it's not you know not inundated which is good because even with the beta testing as soon as it came out there was a ton of stuff to fix like yeah i'd never tried to run it on a non-english operating system oh yeah, so that was sure. like a week yeah, yeah. And, and I managed to get COVID right when the day came. Like, I left the house once, and I got COVID. What? So I was, like, locked in the studio. Debbie was not letting me in the house. And I just, you know, <laughs> was fixing bugs. And it was it was actually really good. It was very, very focused. So it's, um, yeah, yeah, it's been it's been quite the, uh, quite the journey yeah. so far. Man, did you get one to Chad? Chad yeah, Blake. Chad actually yeah. was one of the first people outside of the beta unit to start using it. And right. he loves it because he hates delivering stems. Yeah. He absolutely I think I've heard of it. I think he's told me that. <laughs> yeah, and it's and it's hard now because with Atmos music happening, uh -huh. you really can't get away with just delivering four or five stems anymore. I mean, you can, but then if they want to do Atmos versions, it's really difficult to yeah. do a good Atmos version off of limited stems like that. Yeah. And I was going to be doing Atmos versions of um, the Black Keys record, which he mixed. Mm -hmm. And I told him, look, man, send me the sessions because he'd mixed it all in the box. Uh, and... I'll bounce the stems for you, but let me show you how I'm doing it. 
And I hooked him up with it, and he's been amazing, man. He's just been all over it. He gave me some great feedback. We tweaked some stuff, and now he's doing full stems for every single thing he mixes. And he's kind of going back through the last year's worth of stuff and updating things. And, yeah, he's all over it. I mean, it's amazing. The the one thing I think you mentioned in one of the videos was, like, the next – I mean, if you had two completely identical – systems is is there a way to jump back and forth like to get one of them going and printing and then start working on new stuff on another yeah absolutely yeah. the only the only issues are first of all the sessions obviously have to open so you got to have two copies of all your plugins and all that kind of yeah, stuff yeah and then the only other issue that can come up is that file paths change but if you work on an external hard drive that's oh, right. going to have the same path no matter what mac you ever plug it into mm-hmm. so you can just move that drive over and you're done if you need to change the paths it makes sense to set them up on the system you're going to bounce on but yeah. That's fine. I mean, just set them up on your print rig or whatever. But yeah, yeah, there's no reason you can't go back and forth. Yeah. That's kind of amazing to think about. I mean, the difference between just locking, freezing the studio up, basically. You yeah. Know? I mean, and well, in, in, in two ways, because when I was printing um, the Black Key stems, I was going like 25 or 30 stems per song because I wanted every guitar separate <laughs> and I wanted all the background vocals separate. Yeah. Just in case, you know, in case there was an opportunity. Yeah, yeah. And I'd started at night and I'd come in in the morning and it wouldn't be done and just hit cancel. It knows which ones have bounced and which haven't. And then when wow. I'd eat lunch, I'd start it up again and it'd bounce a couple, stop it again when I came back from lunch and then start it up again when I finished for the night. That, that ability so, to pause, it's brilliant. I mean, that was one thing I noticed in the in the walkthrough videos was, and I was like, oh my God, that that is so, the sort of thing that maybe someone that didn't actually do professional mixing would it would have been like well no you just set it and leave and it has to keep running yeah but that was the thing like i needed to cancel it a couple of times yeah. so i thought man this thing needs to know that a person has clicked the cancel button and mm-hmm. so it does and you can just pick up where you left off that's amazing i mean because that's just it feels like the things that you know if you if anyone that's worked in post-production knows this feeling of like the you know the 45 minute session bounce down for video or something and yeah. then you just, you're stuck. If you cancel that, you got nothing to show for and if it. You, exactly. And if you yeah. save the snapshots, if someone calls up like a week later after you've printed and mm-hmm. says, yeah, that's all great, but turn the hi-hat up, yeah. you can just open the sessions. And as long as you can turn the hi-hat up using something, like if you need to recall volume to print stuff because you got vocal ups and vocal downs, yeah. then use a trim plugin or like right, find right. a way to do the change Compressor and then it'll output. just reprint everything yeah. as if nothing ever happened. Right, so. right. And that that's another thing you can store. These are called snapshots, the different mix prints uh, that you're, you're, you're telling the, uh, the bounce factory to do. And the snapshots yeah. can be stored separately on a file with the with the album session or whatever it is right just yeah and the snapshot is basically like a little mini save as of your session so it knows everything about the session except the edits on the timeline but it knows right. all of the inserts all the settings all the sends outputs what's active what's not so when you're bouncing you just tell the app how much of that stuff do you want to recall and if you want to override it by making changes to the session and reprinting just tell bounce factory don't recall the volume because now i've changed stuff mm-hmm. and like okay cool and it'll just blow that off and just recall what you tell it to man so that's yeah. why it gets so deep because they're like <laughs> sort of three layers of data that you can superimpose on top of your session whatever but once you get your head around it, it's kind of crazy how powerful the thing is. Yeah. I mean, it, 
plus the other thing, I mean, I guess, I guess one of the things I really thought about when I first started digging into this was like, how many times have I thought I printed the proper stems and I'd left something muted or I yeah. didn't bring something back into the session or I did the wrong playlist yeah, or, or the wrong, uh, assignment output assignments you know like it's a blank file yeah. you know a million things and and a lot of that happens because you set one up yeah and then you sit there and wait for it to finish right. and so you get bored and you're checking your email and you're <laughs> on your phone yeah and then all of a sudden you got to focus and know exactly where you left off so you can do the next one and i used to make yeah. mistakes like that all the oh. time and now you just get this really focused yeah. like hour setting up the entire record and generally you get it right yeah, man, that's just so. And okay, what this is the other thing. I, I think I know the answer to this, but our, our readers will want to know. Our listeners, readers, whatever they are, um, <laughs> they're both, right? <laughs> they're, um, they're 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 everything. Both. They're everything. They are they're wonderful. anything they want to be. Basically. Exactly. See, we can all <laughs> aspire and dream and reach. Um, anyway, I'll stop talking. Um, the the snapshots don't have to be of just the session that's currently open. It could be snapshots of the entire album song by song. Right. And then you yeah, can, yeah. Automate. You can open, keep opening sessions and making snapshots and right. adding to the app and the app can hold an infinite number technically of right. snapshots. And then you just tell it which ones you want to bounce when you want to bounce and you can export them out of the app. If the list is getting really messy and save yeah. them and just load them up later on <laughs> or whatever you want to do. Reorder them. Yeah, and yeah. I never really keep them, but there are a lot of people using the app who save them with the session, and that way, if they ever need to recall anything, they just load it up. I don't, I don't know why I don't do that. Like, I, there are people who are way more efficient using this thing than I am. <laughs> they're telling you how you should be using the. Yeah, the and they're right. The, the they're absolutely software. right. Oh my god, yeah. <laughs> that's too funny. Yeah, I, I mean, so you mentioned the the black keys, like the Atmos uh, stems, like. Like how long does it take? Uh, say you mix an album for stereo, but you're also printing stems. Uh, how long does it take if you set up the entire album to print a multitude? Well, I mean, we can lately? just do the math. I mean, I'm lucky <laughs> if stuff prints it sort of one and a half real time because uh -huh. I got a lot of UED stuff and that slows things down. Definitely. Yeah. So same, if it's a five here. minute song, that's going to print in what, three and minutes and change. Yeah. And then let's say there are 20 mix passes, which is pretty conservative. I mean, you've got five to seven just mix passes, yeah. then your stems. So yeah. 15 stems. So let's say it's 20 and right. it's a 12 song record. That's 240 mix passes. Yeah. At three minutes each is a it's seven hundred and twenty minutes, so eight hundred minutes. I don't know what's that. Uh, that's a lot. I'm really good here. at math. No, I don't. I, that's, that's, <laughs> let me let me let me like, just. That's uh, like over. I'm saying overnight. Uh, 60. I'm saying. Yeah, overnight. it's thir It's thirteen and a third hours. Yeah, yeah. So that's and if you had to do it, like man, if you had to sit in front of the computer for thirteen hours straight bouncing that stuff, you'd want to holy poke Jesus. your own eyes out. It, yeah. Yeah. But literally, go away from the studio and come back, and and it'll text you and right. say like, "Hey, I just finished pass, you know, sixty three out of two hundred and forty nine." And that's brilliant. That little dialogue where you can enter your text and your email and and, and SMS and everything. And yeah, again, that was a feature uh, request, and I thought, man, that's just going to get really annoying. And actually, it's oh. the best thing ever because otherwise, you wonder if it's still going because it yeah. can mess up. Pro Tools can crash. Things can happen that will stop yeah. it. And this way, you know. Yeah, yeah. That's I think that's brilliant because that that way you can stay at the bar and, and order another pint. 
Exactly. It's like, <laughs> dude, my mixers hours. are printing. Yeah. <laughs> Your 13 hour bar visit. <laughs> oh my God. We're going to, con- we're going to turn a bunch of people into alcoholics if we're not careful. Um, <laughs> no, I, I think that's really important because one of the things it's, it's like when you set up a backup or something at the studio and you, you step outside, you get your burrito, you come back and it's like disc full or something. And you could have just run back in for a minute and cleared something out, you know, or moved, put a different drug. Those kind of things become so frustrating and, and so, uh, God, what, how would you put it? Um, well, I mean, they just take up more time then. You know. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're soul-destroying, too, because yeah, yeah. you think you finished, and now all of a sudden, the yeah. time you had allocated for something else is taken up with that. And yeah. yeah. At this point, how much of your time is spent adding more code, or you, do you just like make notes when people would give you ideas and then sit down for a while and work on it, or is it still intermittent? It's intermittent. It's yeah. it's I'm, I'm a real magpie. Like, whatever's in front of me is what I do. Mm-hmm. So when someone files a bug report... And I get the little message from the SoundFlow forum saying someone's having trouble. I will almost invariably look immediately. And if it's something I can sort out, then I'll sort it out right then and there. Because sometimes it's just little weird stuff. Or sometimes it's something to do with their the way their computer is set up. Like if, if you run Pro Tools in full screen, that messes mm-hmm. up all kinds of things. And so now oh, I've gotten wow. used to like what the errors are and, yeah. and some stuff like that. So. Uh, but yeah, and what it ends up being is it ends up being a little break from mixing. And then mm-hmm. when I've done with that, then I come back. So, I mean, and I'm still working on other apps right now. And right. it's just become something that I do a lot. And I don't know why, but I just really enjoy it, you know. That's, uh, the other, it's the both sides of the brain, you know. It's also, yeah. I think that, and you must get this too, yeah. where it's it's really exhausting having a job where only other people can tell you if you've been a good boy or not. Yeah. Like it's yeah. it's only subjective <laughs> and it only matters what other people think of your work. It doesn't yeah. matter if you think it's like the best mix you've ever done. If they hate it, it's no good. Yeah. And code is the exact opposite. I mean, it it's weird how it does get a little more nebulous when you're trying to control Pro Tools, which then fights back sometimes. And so it isn't like every single yeah. time you do this, it's the same. But it's as close to that as you're ever going to get. Yeah. It's like, man, that either works or it doesn't. And I love that about it. Right, right. And and your your interaction with the... Uh, with the users is going to be mostly on a either either fixing you're going to learn something because if it doesn't work and there's something that needs to be changed or or you need to be more clear about explaining you know things to the user then okay you're learning something and applying it but it's not it's not a net like you say nebulous uh you know hi-hat third verse more 10k and you're like huh you know <laughs> yeah you know yeah it's it's either their workflow is different like there's there's yeah. a reason it's not working for them yeah yeah exactly. and like with with a couple people it was that they were using time tracking apps and those things just screw with the computer because they're constantly like checking out what you're doing and oh, so sound flow and like right. you know so sometimes it's weird interaction type stuff and sometimes right. it's just like oh right you're in the mix window not the edit window i need to add code to <laughs> deal with that right and know. and I, I mean one thing i remember really noticed was that so the um sound flow bounce factory dialogue sits kind of overlays on the pro tool session and if it's in the wrong place it'll block 
Yeah, amazingly, I, that seems crazy to me. I don't, I don't quite understand it, but it'll block the visual of what, of how it's taking the snapshot, like standing. Yeah, up. well, I mean, because the reason is the yeah. way SoundFlow has such deep hooks into Pro Tools is using accessibility, which mm -hmm. is, you know, it was made for handicapped people, oh, okay. and blind right. people to be able to access things. So there's a lot of stuff that can happen under the hood, but there's some things that Christian has programmed where it just has to go move the mouse and click on something yeah, and then see what text is in the menu or whatever. So mm -hmm. in that case, if it can't get to the menu, then it can't click on it. Right. And then right. everything falls apart. Which so, would include like notifications piling up in the upper right screen. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's that was two days of my time figuring out how do you turn do not disturb on and off on people's computers oh, okay right right and then they changed it in monterey and like fuck so i had to do it all over again and i've now i have to check what operating system you're on like oh my it's God. it's just it's never ending which is cool yeah. in a way you know i love how smart the program is starting to be like it just figures out so much about your environment that it adapts itself to how you're working for the most part right right it's pretty interesting. Uh, what, how, what's the price structure right now? I know I glanced. So at it. this is this is where people get really angry. Oh no! Um, it, it's <laughs> is this where we're going to fight? They do. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. I don't know. It may, maybe it'll make you angry. It's a subscription. So that's the first thing. People hate subscriptions, and okay. I understand it. But and I used to hate subscriptions. That's probably part of why it took me so long to try SoundFlow. Because like, well, mm -hmm. I already bought Keyboard Maestro, and why would I want a subscription? But at this point, I mean, look at what Avid has just done. They've made it really difficult to have a perpetual license. Like, you really need to get a subscription. Yeah, and the reason yeah. is because software is constantly being worked on. So Absolutely. software as a yeah. service, yeah. it's really gotten to the point where the business model of a fixed price doesn't work. And the other reason... I'm I'm skirting around the actual numbers just for a second to give no you some problem. backstory. No problem. No, this, Another reason this is, is because, like, if you look at some of the tools for post production, like there are conforming tools that cost thousands and thousands of dollars, and all they do is read an EDL that's been spit out of a video editor and chop up your session. And I say all. I mean, yeah. that's you know, it's a big yeah. process, but. Yeah. That's it's a one trick pony. It does that thing, and it's really expensive. Yeah. And Bounce Factory is as relevant for people having to deliver for Netflix as it is for people having to deliver an album. Right. And I couldn't find a pricing point that made any sense at all because I didn't want to make it really expensive. And then all the music guys are like, "Man, I can't pay twenty five hundred bucks for a piece of software. Like that's just not going <laughs> to happen." Yeah. Yeah. So then I started talking to Christian about this and some other people and looked into like all the plugin companies are doing subscriptions. And I know it's not as successful as it seems necessarily, but it, mm -hmm. it is kind of the model and it allows you to just constantly develop and not be like nickel and diming people for updates. And yeah. you don't want people getting stuck on old versions. And right, so anyway, right. and the fact that because I beta test Pro Tools, I'm compatible with Pro Tools on day zero. Every oh, time they put out a new release, I've already done everything I need to do to be compatible. So when you started being able to export ADMs directly from Pro Tools, I supported it. When they recoded the entire bounce window, it was supported, you know, when it came out. Right. So that's, it got me to a subscription and, okay, now I have to get to the numbers. Okay. <laughs> so they're, they're two, they're two price tiers. Yeah, yeah. So you can get it. If you download the app, you get a 30-day trial of it for free, and that's fully featured. There's nothing it doesn't do for the first 30 days. Right. Then after that, you can continue on the free one, but for the free one is really just to let you 
try it. Like if you got mm-hmm. it and your trial has run out, really just get in touch and I'll probably just give you another 30 days if you haven't had a chance to check it out. Yeah. But um, the free one lets you make all the snapshots and set up all the mix passes so you can kind of see what it's able to do, but you can only bounce one mix at a time. Right. That's the thing. It doesn't do the batch bouncing. Right. The Then there's a, um, a basic package, which is 19 bucks a month. And what that will let you do is all of the snapshot stuff, but you can only bounce one session at a time. So you could have 150 mix passes for that session. Right. And it will bounce them all, and it will do all the exporting. So, like, one of the things it does is when you bounce a mix, you can import it back into the session, but not just into the clip list. You can place it on a playlist on an existing track in the session, and then you can export a copy at a totally different bit rate and uh, sample rate and bit depth to another directory on the drive and all that kind of stuff. So you get all of that, but it'll only do it for one session at a time. song, basically. Yeah. Yeah. And then the the pro one is 49 bucks a month, and that will bounce unlimited stuff, and it's the one that will email you and text you, and that's it. So I didn't want to take any other features away. So if you're you're mixing one song at a time, or if you're semi-pro, you're not mixing all the time, Mm -hmm. you can get the monthly subscription on the basic one and stop and start it. Like, just yeah. don't, if you know you're going to be tracking for the next two months, you can stop your subscription. Oh, okay. And then re-up it once you get into mixing. If right. You know, because there are people who only mix like four or five times a year. Right. And they're doing other stuff in between or whatever. So right. I tried to make it as affordable as possible and pissing as few people off as possible. But, <laughs> man, you know, the internet reaction to putting anything out as a subscription was, you didn't think about the prices at all. And like, dude, mm-hmm. I haven't slept in a month thinking about these prices. Right. And so that's where it landed. There are, um, yeah, and, and whatever. I'm not going to try and yeah. justify no, it no, any no. more than that. I, but I, I think one of the things which is – the the thing you kind of have to get your head around and as to when you start comparing it to other things that you would get yeah like soundflow itself which is only 10 bucks a month and to um, to run this you have that, to have soundflow as well right and you do have to have yeah. soundflow yes yeah. but the the difference between most things that help you work is those things help you work for like 5 seconds at a time mm-hmm. but then you're still there working this is literally like someone walking into your studio once a month and saying look Give me 49 bucks. I will print every single mix while you go home. Yeah, yeah. And that's the that's the idea of it. And I'm not trying to put assistants out of work. <laughs> I know I know a lot of people who have bought it for their assistant because oh, they don't want their assistant to spend their lives printing mixes. They want yeah. them doing more creative stuff and more or, or cleaning you know, the studio. Like prepping or <laughs> yeah, doing anything. And even, you know, having their own career. Because, you know, I think what? a lot of us, a lot of us who've had assistants, yeah. the point is you kind of you hate it but you look forward to the day when they've got their yeah. own career and they split and they go off into the world and absolutely anyway absolutely so that's the really long convoluted explanation <laughs> for the pricing well no i think it's important to have these discussions because you know i realized a long time ago i think i was talking to stephen massey with massey plugins and and he was having to recode everything to aax you know and and it's like and nobody's giving him money yeah, you know, and it, everyone's just complaining. It's not. It doesn't work on this yet. It doesn't work, you know, and and you're like, yeah, you bought that plugin for sixty bucks or twenty five bucks. Yeah, and and he's not making money doing this work, 
You know, he made the money. This is, I think this is the curse of the plug-in manufacturers and guitar pedal and um, the modular manufacturers is you set up a nice website and everybody assumes you got an office, you got employees, (laughs) you're raking in the money. Yeah. And most of the time it's someone like Steven or Colin in the early days of McDSP Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. they're one person sitting at home trying to make a living doing this stuff. Yeah. One really and, nice person. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And this stuff and, really does impact them. And so yeah, yeah. I, I just decided the amount of time I put into coding it, and also that made it affordable if you want to scale back. Right. And that was that's the point of it. I, mean, I could see. And I think, yeah. you know, when you start using it, because you get the 30 days, yeah. at the end of the 30 days, either it turns out like, well, that doesn't really come up too much, or you'd pay twice that. I would pay more than that. I think, I think my impression of, of only two passes uh, was I, w- I was amazed I was able to get it up and running that fast because I just, I'm always, a, before the interview with you, I was like, I really need to try this, but God, I don't want to learn anything. I don't want to learn any <laughs> new software. I don't want to know anything about this, but I want to do a good interview. I really like Andrew. And uh, the other thing was I do a ton of mixing and I'm like, would this be better for me? And my impression at the end of my little trial run, like one day, half a day trial run was, oh shit, I think I've got to at least buy the the, the lower tier one. I, I, think, I think there would easily be times where for my workflow, I could just set something running for a moment and just have lunch even. You know, and, yeah. and if that's if that's twenty or thirty bucks with Soundflow that I spent that month to just take you know four lunch breaks and still get work done, then that's that's fine. You know, yeah, it's you pretty know. good, and I I yeah. hope that people who use it do feel that way. And I know there are always going to be people who think I'm just trying to rip everybody off and yeah. get rich and yeah, like, oh. well, you know, fair enough. Yeah, I mean that's that's kind of what you're known for, so. No, no. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's my thing. Yeah, all those horrible mixes you send people, and yeah, everyone's really mad at you out there. No, yeah. I mean it's. Look at it this way, you know, when we both started in this, you know, decades ago, there wasn't even a forum to complain. There weren't as many people involved in audio at this level, and yeah. there wasn't a way to complain unless you went to an AES show and, and chased, you know, somebody down. Yeah, or a letter to the editor of Mix Magazine. Or, yeah, yeah, you know, REP. Like, it's just not going to happen. <laughs> yeah, 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 totally. I mean, and, you know, the thing, I was just talking to some clients the other day. They came by to tour the studio, and they're they're much younger. And I said, look, this studio is full of wonderful boutique equipment, you know. And we've, you know, we've got Daking, or we've got Hamptone, or Mog, or whatever. I said, none of these companies, if they wanted to rip people off, they would go into some other field. They believe yeah. in what they're making, yeah. you know, and it's the same yeah. with, you know, 90% of the plugins out there and, and everything else generally is the same. It's like, nobody's making billions off of this stuff, you know? So no, no. People got to get the conspiracy it, theories out of their heads, you know? Yeah, exactly. And if, if I, you know, knock this thing up in an afternoon, then it would be really, really cheap. <laughs> you know, I've got a, I've got some other apps on there, yeah. Um, yeah. which are you know single price, and I think the most expensive one is 
39 bucks, 49 I don't remember yeah, yeah. exactly. But, you know, and those are just because they're a thing. They do a thing. They make your life easier. But it's not yeah. doing the work for you. So it's just a different model. Yeah, there's different one. Model. Oh, my God. What? How much is the one that does the zero? That can, you could have a – Oh, the offset counter? Oh, my God. Yeah. The offset counter is good. Oh, my God. That's That was the thing. When I first started talking to Christian yeah. and I said – I want to know about how we can do this. And he started showing me more and more about how you can write the apps and have the custom interfaces and oh, okay. things like that. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to make the offset counter. Like that's that was the first one. The bounce script was just like for me, but this was yeah. like, this is the Everybody. thing that will change my life. Everybody wants that. Uh, 40, 49 bucks. Yeah, that because that, and I think it might seem abstract unless you've been in this situation, but when you've got sessions for me, especially as a producer, when I'm making a session, it our start point for a song might be at like 40 minutes because yeah. we were doing multiple takes of songs. Yeah. And then we stop there and I'm not going to move things around because there's playlists that would get jumbled. Exactly. So I start, here's my zero. My zero is really 4506. And then I print the mix. I send it to the clients and they go, that symbol crash at 103. And I'm like, where, yeah. oh, where's 103? And you always go to the beginning of the song, you make a selection, and you're looking at the <laughs> the thing. And Yeah, yeah, you have to, you have to like highlight a region and then yeah, figure out where exactly. the crash is. And I was like, this, when I saw your, I didn't even have to look at, I just saw the name of it. And I thought, that, that utility is amazing because that is such a nightmare that I run into every day. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And that's a that's an all day, every day thing if you're mixing. Yeah. Absolutely. And and, I, and uh, yeah, I've also now because um, it runs on because Soundflow just works on iOS and and Android, so mm -hmm. you can open it up on an iPad or Android oh, wow. tablet. I've actually got a friend of mine who's a composer who just uses it by giving the conductor an iPad and leaving the counter on bars and beats. He's not even offsetting, but right. that way the conductor has a live counter, but they're showing time code that's offset right. inside the control room because you can have as many of them open as you want. So. <sighs> Like the the applications are way past what I I right. only thought about it for mix notes like that was it. That's really yeah because that they saying here mix notes is absolutely the reason for that. That's crazy. Uh, I, yeah. I want to jump back for a second though. I just just was just thinking you mentioned you, you mentioned post production and and are you getting a lot of feedback from people using Bounce Factory in post? Not a lot, a, a little bit. I've shown it to some people. And I think the thing is when you're working, like if you're working on a gigantic film, mm -hmm. you'll actually spend days getting the mix templates together so that when you hit record, you're actually printing every single version that you will ever need at once. Right. Like right. it's insane the way yeah. it works. Yeah. So I think that it's going to be more of the smaller stuff and the TV stuff. Okay. Yeah. Um, like the film stuff when you've got multiple machines, because usually while you're mixing a film, you've got, let's say three source machines and a recorder machine. Yeah. If you're full on theatrical, yeah. it's not really going to help you with that. But what it will help you with is once you've got your recorder, session that's where you generate everything from all the foreign language versions mm. and all of that so oh, right. sure. at some point yeah. i just need to get in front of a few more people i've shown right. it to a few people and they've definitely seen like oh right we could do it but i think yeah. they kind of have to rethink their workflow to accommodate it so they love how much time it would save them but they'd actually have to kind of 
change a few things. Right. And, you know, post-production, they're actually really busy all the time. So right. nobody has time to change anything. So not a lot of traction yet, but, you know, the reception has been good. And and I what was good for me was it wasn't a, yeah, this works in totally the wrong way for us and you'd have to change it. It was more just like, yeah, we, we'd have to work that into our workflow, but that mm-hmm. could be cool. Yeah, that's that's a, I thought that'd be pretty interesting, you know. And like you mentioned, for different language versions, et cetera. Oh my God! It would just there could be a time where they yeah. Could set I mean, it. that's just yeah. like TV and not Capella. That's yeah. the same thing. <laughs> exactly. Um, man, outside of that, outside of all this, which we just spent <laughs> about forty-five minutes talking about, how is your mixing career going? And how are you, are you getting jobs that you enjoy? And and uh, how, yeah, it's I, it's been pretty good, man. I can't complain. Yeah, I really can't. I set up for Atmos. Um, right a year ago a little over a year ago something like that and that's it was a super steep learning curve and mm-hmm. i'm really really enjoying it i love the uh the ability to do it but it's also like we were talking about before about how you know your mix is only as good as other people think it is yeah <laughs> because of the workflow the stereo mix is always signed off before you do the atmos there really aren't people doing them at the same time anymore. Right. So all that jeopardy is gone by the time you're doing Atmos. You're just trying to make it even more fun to listen to (laughs) or point stuff out. Like it's it's almost like a mastering gig in a way. And like, look, that's done. Everybody likes it. Just make it better. Right. And (laughs) that's been the real joy of doing the the Atmos stuff. And I've gotten to do some catalog stuff, both things I had mixed in stereo Mm -hmm. and stuff I had absolutely nothing to do with. Right. And it's been – it's really cool to be able to be as creative as you kind of want to be but with a totally different set of parameters and without the idea of, yeah, but are they going to be okay with the way the symbols are? Like right. they're, they're already signed off on the symbols. Right. It's just where am I going to put them and what am I going <laughs> right. to do with them? And we, you know, we, so. we have an interview coming over with Steve Genowick and he, he went into yep. a little bit of detail on working in Atmos. Um, great engineer, of course. Yeah, but he's super early in the atmosphere. Yeah, he's been doing exactly. It for three, three and a half years, something. Right, like that. right. He's got the jump on you guys. And uh, yeah, one of the things that I felt fascinating was to think of it beyond surround, of course, because we're not just thinking about there's X amount of speakers. They're thinking about where is it placed, right? Exactly. Yeah, and I was like, all of a sudden, I had like a, a, you know, I was like, my brain went, oh, oh, so it's it's it's. It's delivery we can contingent on what it's delivering to, but the placement would remain the same no matter how it's yeah, folding I mean, down the, or up, right? That's the whole idea. And yeah. obviously it works better on some systems than sure, others and sure. headphones. It's all about your ability to kind of externalize things and whatever. But mm-hmm. yeah, but the idea that you have the center, which when you listen to a regular stereo mix in headphones is like inside your head, basically. Yeah. yeah. But in Atmos, you have the listener position and that's when it's coming out of all of the speakers at equal level right you know technically and that's totally different right. and also just the learning curve of it and the the sort of getting ideas of stuff you can do the difference between phantom center and an actual center speaker mm-hmm. is gigantic right they don't sound anything like each other no no and that was really weird because you just assume like okay cool 
put it in the center and like, oh, hold on. Now it sounds weird because we're used to this sort of phasey thing that is the Phantom Center. The floating. That sounds super cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you've got Phantom Everything, right? Because <laughs> right, you've got, right. you know, 16 speakers or whatever it is. So there's that. And also, like, what do you do? What do you want to do with reverb? And how do you want to place it? And mm-hmm. I've got all these, like, weird multi-mono reverbs. So I can <laughs> kind of pinpoint where the reverb is going to be. And it may have nothing to do with where the source is. Right. So you can start building these relationships of, like, front right to back left, which mm-hmm. is totally different from front right to back right. Sure. Totally different from front right to top right. Like, it's <laughs> it's mind-boggling. How, and you can definitely go down the rabbit hole. How do you see things in, in that realm? One of the things I took away from Steve's discussion was was really like compression's a whole different compression and limiting are a whole different ballgame. It's not like you slap something on the master bus for Atmos. Yeah. And how do you work with things like parallel compression on drums and 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 things like that? Well, you bake it in. That's yeah. the thing you work from stems. Even okay. the stuff that I've mixed in stereo, I go back. Like I did the two Hosier records. Mm-hmm. And I started by opening up those mixes and I'd I'd spent weeks making myself an Atmos version of my stereo mix template. It took forever to figure (laughs) out how to key things and split things out. And so some stuff was going to be 5-1 on its way to being 7-1-2 on its way to being 9-1-4. And (laughs) it was so complicated. And I started doing it and things started to change and fall apart. And like, I right, that's no good. And I went back to those sessions and printed like extensive stems. That was another one where I wanted all the backgrounds separate. Yeah. Because Andrew builds these incredible layers of like Leslie background vocals. And I knew this needs to be a choir in a circle around you that rotates. So I need 14 stems of background vocals and all this kind of thing. But yeah, Yeah. I do it all from stems and that way that's taken care of. And the only thing, if you get a good set of stems, the only thing you've got to do is kind of recreate the mess that happened in mastering bringing up the stereo mix to whatever level it ended up being and usually i've found it's really just about the transients it's about getting the limiter artifacts onto the transients because otherwise it's like the drums are too punchy right and it doesn't then that changes the groove and that's no good so other than that though everything is baked into the stems so i don't really have to worry about it too much right that makes sense Man, have how many speakers do you have set, uh, set up for your Atmos in your room now? It's it's nine one four. Yeah. So I've got nine around me, uh-huh. and then four above, and then the sub. Jesus, do you ever just like yeah? Do you, do you pull up other people's Atmos mixes just to see how yeah. they're? Yeah, yeah, and you get so much inspiration from it because yeah. like you think you're doing something cool, and then you pull something <laughs> else up, and you're like. Oh, wait a minute. Uh-oh. <laughs> like, you know, like, have you ever had something just come out there? And like, well, I haven't, but I should. <laughs> and then, because it's it's like when you yeah. learn to mix in stereo, there are so many things that now we just do intuitively that we had to learn. Yeah. Like, how do you share the low end? And what, mm-hmm. I mean, panning in stereo is a huge deal. Yeah. How do you deal with the soundscape do you want to do lcr do you like stuff in between is it cool to have stuff outside the speakers and so it's just that times a million you know with a completely different tool set so it it was really scary i mean the first atmos mixes i did i it felt like the first time i was ever left alone like in an ssl room to mix without an assistant i had no (laughs) clue what i was doing it was like that yeah like completely starting from scratch again but obviously you catch up a little faster 
Right. I assume you'd done surround mixes, you know, whenever, when was that crazy? 10 years ago? Not really. No? Not you really. No, yeah. I, I think I did like one or two. I worked uh, on, I got to work on a, a fabulous Thunderbirds DVD with Ed Cherney, which was amazing. Oh, fun. Yeah. Um, but that was very much like it was a live concert. So it was just build the back wall with yeah. ambience and crowd and, and stuff like that. And, and then just immersia. mix. So, yeah. Yeah, so it, it was definitely not a stereo mix, but we it was sort of treated like one. Yeah, coming from the stage. I mean, you always kind of yeah. want to keep that. Yeah, exactly. Integrity. And I don't, yeah, so I didn't do that much. No. Yeah. Wow. So this, this is a big jump into this fresh yeah, world for Yeah, but you. it's so much fun. It really is. Wow. That's, yeah. I, I want to, when the last damn show in 2020, uh, Michael Romanowski was like, come back tomorrow. I want to play you a bunch of stuff. And he was in a room. And that night I got, I came down with a, a viral infection in my intestines and I, and I had to leave. Wow. I had to stay in bed for a couple of days and then fly home and go to the doctor and all this stuff. And I, I was so bummed because this was really like the first time it's like, that's like almost three years ago. Right. And yeah, and I was like, this is the first time two and a half years ago. I, that I would have really got, I heard just a little bit of choral stuff or something he had up and I was like, oh, right. that's pretty cool. You know? Yeah. That's when PMC had that booth in that the back was room. Crazy. Yeah. Yes. That room. Yes. Yeah. The Atmos room built Fantastic. out of all large PMCs and it was insane. Yeah. It sounded, yeah. I just heard a little bit of some choral stuff and maybe some organs or something. I can't remember classical. Uh, and it was all, it was just like, oh gosh. And then he's like, come back tomorrow. We'll sit and, you know. And then yeah. I got sick. <laughs> I'm like, God damn it. You know, and, and I just, you know, it's interesting. We get a lot of questions about Atmos, you know, and they're like, write a feature about it. I'm like, how kind of, you know, it's just going to, it's just going to have to become a topic. In yeah, our it is. And I, there's know. so many different layers to it. Like we yeah. haven't talked about the whole, you know, the fact that most people are going to listen to it in headphones and mm -hmm. let's not even go down that rabbit hole because it is a rabbit yeah, hole and yeah. whatever, but it, there's so many aspects to it that have nothing to do with each other but yeah, it's yeah. an exciting thing and what i'm really looking forward to is when the equipment manufacturers catch up and start making cheaper things that are easy for people to set up at home and yeah. people start listening to it more on speakers and there are more yeah. cars that are doing it and right. things like that and i think that's when it's going to be really fun yeah you know i think i think you're right i mean because it, it really has to become something that's just more prevalent you know, a lot and more... also bands have to start, you know, producing for it. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's people yeah. are doing their arrangements for stereo. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I, I, oh, yeah. there's a friend of mine who worked with a band and he knew that, uh, and they weren't even going to end up with full blown Atmos, but he convinced them while they were tracking to set the control room up in quad. Mm -hmm. So you don't need, you know, yeah. 14 speakers while you're doing it. But as long as you get a pair behind you, you'll start thinking about, Oh, let's do two more guitars, <laughs> you know, and you build up right. like the raw material that yeah. you need to do a mix that's really going to be sure. amazing instead of just like the spread out stereo. Right, because I'm always I'm always thinking about depth in my stereo pr productions, tracking and stuff. But you know, many times I'll put just a single ribbon mic with the null facing the drums across the room, and that's just a nice solid mono room mic. You yeah. know, but then I'm like, oh, but if I had two speakers behind me, I'd really want there to be two mics back there. <laughs> yeah. You know. And it's it's not that hard to set up in quad. Yeah. Like I would definitely not recommend trying to track through the Dolby renderer, like, you know, latency and all that kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah, it sounds it's a little insane. impossible. 
But it's pretty easy to just put another pair of speakers behind you, even if they're not the same speakers. Like, who cares? Just so you get the idea of thinking about what you want the band to do and how you want to mic stuff up, Hmm. like you're talking about, and all that, just to give yourself some stuff to put back there. During the beginning of the pandemic, I set up, I've got ATC-25s here, and then I I have some little Atom A7s, and I set them back here on the producer's desk on some boxes, and I had a bunch of uh, the Pink Floyd immersive reissues, had a right. lot of James Guthrie and, and original quad mixes. Uh, for So James Guthrie mixes in surround and then uh, quad mixes from like Alan Parsons and, and uh, Brian Humphreys. Yeah. And so I'm listening to all this Pink Floyd, like going, I've never even heard that little sound so clear. Like, you know, it, and it was just, it was just really fun to sit and listen in the middle and, Work work on tape pop and listen to quad. Yeah, and, sta- and some and of those albums were produced for quad. You, re- and you certainly feel that. I'm like, thing. I wish you were here. You know? Yeah. Oh my gosh. You yeah. Know, it's just there's a very layered, textured record with all those synth layers that they had to do to get. Yeah, and then, well, just the journey through those gigantic doors at the <laughs> beginning. You know, like <laughs> yeah, right, right, or the ping ponging bass on on. Uh, on Welcome Machine too, yeah, the, yeah, it's bouncing around, or the money, the 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 coin loop on money moves around the speakers yeah. in a really weird pattern because it's seven eight. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's it's just funny, you know. I think, you know, we go we go back and forth at tape hop. We go, is it, is is Atmos a fad? Was was surround a fad? It kind of was, right, uh, for rock music and stuff, especially. You know, kind of came and went. But is Atmos a fad? And we're like, I don't think it's as much of a fad. This is going to be something if it if it gets immersed, yeah, we're going to be think so. With and it. I because I think what it's got is like when mono was king and yeah. stereo came out, everyone thought stereo was a gimmick. Yeah, yeah, totally yeah. a gimmick. It was a marketing gimmick for the U.S. labels. That's why mm-hmm. there are stereo versions of those Beatles records. Like, yeah, total gimmick. Yeah, yeah. Who's going to get two speakers? But we had two ears, and then when headphones happened, like it, it all yeah. made sense. And I think the the binaural or Apple Spatial version of the Atmos is what gives this some legs. People yeah. can listen to it. And it's why Quad and 5.1 just didn't happen, because people couldn't set the speakers up. Oh, yeah. It just wasn't going to happen. I mean, I heard as a kid in the 70s, like I was born in 63, so like as a kid in the 70s, I remember going to another kid's house, and his dad had a, a stereo with a joystick you know, instead of a, right. instead of a balance knob going left, right, it was a joystick and, and he had, I think it was Enoch light. Does that sound, remember those I records? Oh my gosh. They're, no. they were quad records. And I remember we playing the quad records or maybe they were even reels, you know, and then hearing stuff flying or, you know, in different parts of the room, there was like a, there was like a, a family room or something set up with the four speakers in the corners and, you know, yeah. and it was like, wow. And that's the only house I was ever in where I heard quad. You know, exactly when it was exactly. supposed to be big yeah i don't think i was ever in a house with quad yeah i don't think it ever happened yeah right yeah I'd say, and, and i don't think i was ever really in anyone's home theater that was set up for five one music because of course yeah that was one of the reasons it died to death is that the five one music setup was totally different from the five one theatrical setup right right so nobody's room was set up properly for music because of course you set it up for movies yeah everyone I mean, wanted to watch star wars you know <laughs> you want the spaceships to fly behind you <laughs> exactly exactly i've got well we, we've got a these are about an hour and so i've got one last question Actually, and I thought it'd be fun to ask you. So I, I, I made a call on Twitter. I said, I don't have a lot of things for the letters section in, in an upcoming issue. 
and people sent me some some ideas for or questions to answer and stuff like that for the letters section and tape op. One of the letters I can't answer, and and I think this is going to be a good one. Uh, you're <laughs> On going to have you're going to have to answer it. And uh, I should have had it called up here, but basically the question is. Uh, the the writer is presuming he says that analog summing has more width and what what that he's presuming this I'm saying because I I I'm kind of I always go are you sure but um, if analog summing has more width what can we do in the box to to also achieve this sort of effect of analog summing in this era and I there's obviously kind of a misnomer of like, are you sure that there is width? More well, width? I think, okay, so let's, yeah. let's do that. It let's would be it easy down. to, yeah. So we could have the analog versus digital discussion, but I refuse no. to have no, it. No, no. Let's we, not even go there. So I'm not taking let's you there. <laughs> say, let's say that width, we're going to say is sort of a subjective way that this person is describing what they like about the analog summing. Yeah. So cool. They like analog summing better than digital summing. They're perceiving it as something they're going to call width. But let's just talk about what are the differences between analog summing and digital summing. Mm -hmm. And let's, I mean, let's go all the way down to like passive analog summing because then you're not into amplifiers except at the very end of the chain and whatever. Right. You're just like a resistor network and things like that. Right, like the full, the, the roll, roll music full and, room or And something. to be fair, I actually did some tests with, it was some guys at Avid actually before Heat happened mm -hmm. where I had my 8068 and was just convinced like, look, there's something going on and it's magic. And like, <laughs> all right, we're going to do some tests. And so we had stuff tweaked out to like within a tenth of a dB. And when I wasn't driving the console very hard at all, could not tell the difference. Right. It really did sound the same. It was, it phased completely. It was impossible. As soon as you, you started null, to null drive it, it though, yeah. then it was like night and day. Right. So what you're getting is depending on what the hardware is in your analog summing, I mean, this is obviously a huge part, like, well, what components are in there? If yeah. you have transformers, they every transformer has a sound as well as being a high pass and a low pass filter, mm -hmm. period. Yeah. They do not pass DC, so there's a high pass somewhere in there, mm -hmm. and they don't pass speed of light because they're really slow, so there's your <laughs> low pass. So there's your two filters. Yeah. There is also going to be some phase distortion. Right. Then resistors don't all pass speed of light you know they're not perfect so mm -hmm. it's basically filtering which can be a function of either the summing network itself or the transformers on the way in or the way out yeah you're going to have harmonic distortion as you start to push your levels yeah. and if you've got active summing or it's just that you've got passive summing, but then those always need amplifiers, right? You take passive summers into mic pre's to bring them up. It has to be regained. Again. Yeah. So there's always something with a power supply. Mm -hmm. So how good is that power supply? The power supply is everything for analog circuits. Yeah. And it has rails. And it isn't like digital clipping where everything is perfect until you just run out of volts. Yeah. And now yeah. it's a square wave. There's always a knee to it. Mm -hmm. And it always rings a little bit. And it's got hysteresis. So it doesn't come back off the rail immediately. So you've got clipping that is totally different than digital clipping. So the point is, all of these things are things that you have no control over. There is no knob for any of that 
with analog summing. Yeah. None of it, but you get it. And right. if you like that, then you're going to perceive it as whether, I mean, you know, why would it be width? I don't know. Right. Because technically, if you pan something hard left and there is nothing on the right, well, that's as wide left as you can possibly go. <laughs> and within reason on any analog summer or digital summer, that's what you're going to get. Yeah. Right. There's no crosstalk or whatever. But as you start to push things, especially if you've got a cheaper power supply and an analog piece of gear, yeah. there will be crosstalk because the supply is going to start caving. Sagging. It's like the awesome yeah. sound of the, you know, dying nine volt battery in a fuzz pedal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's the best thing ever when it sags. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's all part of it. So yeah. that's my answer. So if you want to recreate what you like about analog summing, don't look at the summing at all, look at the artifacts that you're getting and yeah. look at distortion plugins, look at preamp modeling plugins, look at very, very soft limiters where mm -hmm. you have super control over the knee. Right. And look at filters. That's huge. Right. It is, I can't tell you how huge it is. Well, let me tell you how huge it is. <laughs> I'll make this an even longer answer yeah, yeah. than you wanted. When we were working on Omnichannel. Yeah. I wanted to, there are a lot of the EQ bands on that EQ that I wanted to start life being like a certain EQ. So I wanted to start with a model and then I wanted to go nuts with it. But I wanted to, to begin with a character to know where I was starting. There was one band in the mid-range that I wanted to sound like a 560, API 560, the graphic yeah, EQ. Yeah, great. Where yeah. when you push up one of, the way those work, as you push up the sliders, the Q gets tighter. So mm -hmm. it's basically like an, an equal power EQ. Mm -hmm. So if you add more gain at a certain frequency, you add less at the frequencies around it to try and make it so you don't overload the output as part of it. But it's <laughs> right. also just the way it sounds. So it's that, but I wanted the slider above and below that slider pushed up halfway. So you get this weird hmm. like stepped bell. Right. And as you go tighter, the steps become more prominent, but you're always keeping this kind of wider bell with a really weird shape to it. Yeah. So anyway, so we set up a hardware 560 and then we they had their emulation of the 560. And we were had an audio precision. I mean, we were not like, oh, just trust your ears. Like, let's get it so that they superimpose perfectly and now let's listen. We were zoomed in on the mid-range, superimposed perfectly, and I could find the hardware 560 every single time. Yeah. No question. Like, I didn't even need to listen more than once. Like, that's the, that's the hardware, that's the software. Couldn't figure it out. Finally, we reset the audio precision, thinking like, well, if we restart this thing, maybe it's not measuring properly. Maybe it's actually showing us channel two twice or something because sure. it doesn't match up. And when we did that, it reset the zoom because we were just looking at the mid-range. Right. And we realized that because the hardware had a low pass at, I don't know, like, you know, 25K and the high pass was at 10 hertz or something like yeah. that. And obviously the digital one did not have that at all. And like, look, let's add that. Let's just just get any EQ up in the plug-in chain and let's just put a high pass and a low pass. And all of a sudden that was it. Really? And it was like magic. Huh. Like we're zeroing in listening to two and a half K or something yeah, like yeah. that. But the high pass and low pass completely changed the way it felt. That's and that's the kind of weird nebulous stuff that people use to describe why they like analog stuff over mm -hmm. digital stuff. Right, yeah. Because you're 
always there are artifacts in every analog circuit. Yes. Yeah. And there are no artifacts in every digital equation unless you put them in yourself. Right. So anyway, blah, 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 blah. No, no. Shut the man up. I mean, that's, you know, on my, most of my in the box mixes, I use the, the, the UAD's dangerous uh, Baxendahl EQ and, and I do the little, the outside uh, filters on that. And just because, you know, when we worked on, I'm looking at my tape decks, when we worked on tape, it would kind of do that filtering for us. Yeah, you know, absolutely. We, you can't we know record it, you know, 50K yeah. and you can't record DC. It's yeah. impossible. So I've always, I've always yeah. kind of done that in my, for my in the box mixes as part of the, I, I don't do much on the mix buses. I'm very, very, very light, uh, light handed, but I'll do that in the precision limiter and UAD as well. And just, to, and it's just this nice little finishing, simple, you know, I've already made a mix that has no overs going to the left, right, nothing, you know, and it's, and it always just kind of helps. I think cleaning up those, those filters, yeah, you know, but I, I think like it, it's, you know? it's so easy to get enamored of analog gear, especially mm -hmm. the gear you don't own, right? Everybody's like always <laughs> lusting after the next piece of analog gear and like Fairchild's, you know, no one's going to sell their car to buy a Fairchild anymore because nah. we can't afford it, but no. there. They are analog circuits, therefore they are knowable because it yeah. is physics. Yeah, it, that's all there is. There, there is nothing else in these boxes except electronic components yeah. that do things to electrons as they pass through them. Yeah, the thing is that they don't do it perfectly, and they don't do it necessarily a hundred percent repeatedly. So that's the chaos that everybody loves, but you can't treat it like it's magic because then yeah. you start just assuming analog's better than digital and there's nothing you can ever do about it. And yeah. that's not true. No, it no. just isn't. And personally, I love having control over all the chaos and the harmonic distortion and the filtering and I put it in where I need it, but it took yeah. me years to kind of get good at it. Yeah. When you used to just get it all for free and like you deal with the <laughs> artifacts that you didn't like. Yeah, yeah. So, oh, yeah. Anyway, man, I'm, I'm with you 100%. You know, I think that it's hard to explain that stuff to someone who hasn't had a, a wider breadth of experiences in recording, you know? Yeah. And look, anybody who says you can't mix in the box, just go listen to Chad Blake and Serban. Those yeah. two guys are yeah. nothing like each other. Absolutely. And they've both been in the box for years. Right. Serbin longer than anybody, really. Yeah, especially for really mainstream, wide, wide appeal, my, widely yeah. heard, widely heard music that that sounds proper. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. Chad is the yeah. you know almost the polar opposite of that in some ways, but amazing, <laughs> amazing mixes yeah. still. And he's the reason when I was transitioning into the box that I just got over myself. Yeah, like man, if he can do what he's doing, I need to. It's possible. I can figure it out. Now, I still go back and forth. I mean, I've tried to have like different mixing tiers, and 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 it's a different. It's a different day if I mix in externally in analog. Yeah. It's a different day. It's a different workflow. It takes up a lot more of my time, so it's going to just have to cost a little more. And I, but I still but do it. I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure there are times though when you're in the room and yeah. you're working on a mix. It's in the box, and yeah. you just think like, man, I would kill this on the desk right now yeah. because it's a totally different workflow and a mindset it, it and a, is and that's what it is and if i don't i would never advocate for anybody to mix any particular way but sure. i also won't allow people to say that one workflow is necessarily no. inferior like it's just not true you know i i had a session uh, i think it was last year and uh it was with a 
really interesting band from uh, Na- Nashville and uh, musically, like really, you know, not mainstream or anything, but just really cool sounding. And I did a mix in the box and they were like, yeah, I mean, it's okay. But, and I said, you know what, let's, let's pick a date. Let's do, let's do this in the analog realm and you guys be ready to sign off on it. And we did it all on the console and I was able to just go so much. F- it was more of my mindset yeah than the equipment but but the console it was as you mentioned earlier i was pushing the rupert neve designs 5088 very hard meters clicking like crazy all the input transformers getting pumped you know with the signal the drums and things coming in and as you say and and as i know and i hear it's changing the audio and it just gave it this glue and this thing they they actually told me like can can you ease up on all that bus compression i said there is no bus compression <laughs> this is the console <laughs> yeah you know and yeah and that's what it's we're the console folding up yeah. and that's a good thing yeah sometimes. i was like if i back off all the if i back off the what i'm feeding the console it's going to change how everything feels yeah you know, so either and we're to kind of come come this. full circle with yeah. the whole workflow side of that where i'm sure when you're on the console it's just super fast because there's a knob for everything and yeah. they do what they do yeah and, and for me, that's what SoundFlow has managed to do is that every annoying part of the digital workflow <laughs> is no longer annoying. Yeah. It's a button on my stream deck or a key yeah. command, and it's Man. like all that stuff is gone. Yeah. And I I feel like I'm moving as fast as I would on a console now, which I never did before. Right. And I was fine with it, you know, but it was it's not like it bugged me. But now to have that stuff stripped away has really just made me feel better about the process when I'm mixing. I just enjoy it more. That I think you just capped our interview. (laughs) (laughs) I'm always looking for that uh, in the magazine and podcast. No, that's beautiful, man. And it's always so great to talk to you. I'm I'm so glad that we've we've gotten to be in touch over the last number of years, and and uh, really appreciate your thoughts and insight. And and uh, and this bounce factory just kind of blows my mind. You know, it's really. It's something that I think a lot of us were dreaming and hoping and, and kind of assumed maybe Avid would never really invest in because it's, uh, you know, they're trying to do a lot of things with Pro Tools. Yeah. You know, there's a lot. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of different applications and things to cover with a product like that. And the thing that's really cool is Avid, instead of seeing it as you know, I don't know, not certainly not competition, but (laughs) like they're actually really excited about it. Right. Because first of all, it helps people like Pro Tools because, you know, people say, oh, Cubase and Reaper have done that for years or whatever. (laughs) Right, those kind of stories. But it's also, they don't ever have to think about uh, adding resources into something that inherently, this thing is outside of the Pro Tools session. Yeah. But that's not the way Pro Tools works. So this would be another app. Like it's not what they do. Right, right, totally. So, no, I think yeah. I think that's great, and I've long held a theory that we that the recording software is going to become more modular. If that makes sense, that you would be able to buy, like, I want just a say someone wanted a version of Pro Tools that just recorded tracks and played them back like a tape deck. Like you, we, I think we'll start to see a change of of how software works becoming less feature rich but more adding you can add thing bolt things on 
as you've done. Well, here. and I think, yeah, the communication between parts of it yeah. is starting to happen more too, because yeah. almost all the plugin manufacturers are using Juice, so they've got common APIs that they don't have to maintain mm -hmm. or done by, you know, that company. And yeah. there's a lot of interaction and also the way a lot of the recording tools, like um, all the mix review type of things they have where you right. upload your track and the comments happen and right. can be imported as markers. They're all these like meta apps mm -hmm. that are starting to happen that talk to each other or talk to other things. Yeah. And it's pretty cool. It's, it's pretty creative stuff. It's going to be an interesting future. <laughs> it is. And maybe we can we, we can become more creative and enjoy our workflow better. <laughs> that is the whole point, man. Because yeah. when this becomes work, yeah. that's bad. Yeah. I know. I still love listening to music, and I come down here. The worst mixing the worst song in the world is still better than washing dishes. <laughs> I will tell you that. <laughs> yeah, we're very, very lucky. I've done both. Awesome, man. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. Find us online at tapeop.com, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Until next time. <laughs>